Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai, pastor of Church Life, and it is good to see all of you guys here in our service, here and in person and online. Steve Adams, who is our interim preaching pastor, cannot be here today. He had another speaking engagement. So we're continuing our series in the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Now, when I was younger, I grew up in the Hindu religion, and I remember my mom coming to me and my brothers and saying that a Hindu priest was coming to town, and she wanted us to be part of this ceremony that she was a part of when she was younger as well. So the idea was that this Hindu priest would come, and he's kind of like the go-between between uh, us and the deities. So I'm eight years old, and I'm thinking, sure, why not? Let's just do this. So what we had to do was, what I didn't know at the time, and I found out, and I was very sad about it, we had to fast for a day, okay? Now, if you look at me, nothing's really changed in my size since I was eight years old. So, uh, so we had to fast, but the fast was very different. Um, certain foods we could eat and certain foods we could not eat. So uh, my mom made this potato curry stew. It was absolutely amazing, and it would be great with naan, but the problem was we couldn't have bread. That was a problem, and I love my carbs. And then, um, and then I couldn't have any uh, juice or milk. Uh, I could have water, but I could also have pop. Figure that one out. And chocolate. So I was thinking, now that I think about it, I think my mom decided that pop and chocolate would work because you know, that would get me out of the kitchen, right? Uh, but we had this fast, and then, and then the next day we woke up early. And I remember getting ready, we had brand new clothes, we showered brand new clothes on, and we drove all the way to Toronto to meet this Hindu priest. And we were doing these little ceremony things, uh, we, were, we wore these necklaces, burning some incense and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then we had to repeat what the priest had to say. And you know what? I have no idea what I was saying. No clue. It wasn't in Gujarati, which is the language I grew up in, and it wasn't in Hindi, because I know some certain words. It was in Sanskrit. Now, if you don't know what Sanskrit is, basically, Sanskrit to the Indian language is basically what Latin is to the European languages. So I had no idea what I was saying. But we went through this uh, ordeal and this ritual, this rite of passage, and the ideology was that this priest was actually forgiving us of our sins as we, you know, in front of the deities. Now, there are many religions out there that have the position of the person of the high priest. And, you know, some religions uh, believe that you go to the priest and then the priest is there to absolve you of your sins. And there are some, and I'm broadening the definition of Christianity to do this as well. But that is really against what scripture says because there's only one person that can forgive us of our sins and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It is not a priest, it's not somebody else, it is only Jesus. So the biblical view from the Holy Scriptures is that it is only through God that he is the one who forgives us of our sins. So today we're looking at Hebrews 4, 14, and I invite you to stand as you read this passage of Scripture. It's also available on the screen behind me as well. So Hebrews chapter 4, starting verse 14. The author of Hebrew writes, Therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes his, this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You may be seated. The title of my message is Jesus our mediator, Jesus, our mediator. So we need to go back to the Old Testament and understand the passage of scripture to give us an appreciation for the book of Hebrews. Now I wanna go back in time to when the high priest was instituted by God. The high priest was a representative of the people to God. And during the year there was one day that was very important called the day of atonement. The day when the sins of the people would be forgiven by God. And on that day, the priest was able to go to the most holy place in the temple, in Jerusalem. The high priest would enter the outer court, then he would go to the inner court, then he would go to the most holy place. And he was only allowed to go in the most holy place once a year. First, ask forgiveness of his sins, and then forgiveness of the people by the sprinkling of the blood of an animal. The most holy place was very sacred, a very important room. In the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant had two angels facing one another, and in the center was this seat, a mercy seat that they called it. And that is where the priest would come and sprinkle the blood of the animal. The priest would actually go in first, as it said, receive atonement for his sins first, and then for on behalf of the people. Now, this is just a brief summary of what the high priest would do. Okay, if I went into full details, we'd be, we'd be here until next Sunday. It is, there's so many things to this and so many important facets that I encourage you to read about it. It's really important when you study the scriptures. We need to know what our heritage is. So now there was a problem with the Day of Atonement. It happened once a year. So this forgiveness of people's sin was only temporary. It wasn't for all eternity. And as a result, year after year, the high priest would have to go in to the most holy place. Now, the priest was a very important position in Old Testament times. Again, he was the representative of the people to God and vice versa. So when the author of the Hebrews is writing the book of Hebrews, he's writing to people of the, who are Hebrews who are being persecuted. Now, for them, the image of the high priest wasn't history. For them, the image of the high priest was in the now. They would have seen this if they were in Jerusalem. They would have had the high priest go into the holy place and give the sacrifices on behalf of the people. For them, it is in the now. For us, it's part of our biblical history, our rich, amazing biblical history that we all need to know. There's so much stuff between Genesis and Malachi that we need to dive into and know. 
And when we know a lot about that, we appreciate what's in Matthew to Revelation and everything between Genesis and Revelation. So for them, this is something that is happening to them that they're understanding and they understand. For us, it's history, but for them, it was something that was happening in real time. The position of the priesthood was very important. It was absolutely instrumental within the faith of the forgiveness of sins. So this position of the high priest was very important in the mindset of the people to have an eternal relationship with the living God. And that position of high priest is also important to us for the same reason, to have an eternal relationship with the living God. Today's big idea is Jesus is our perfect mediator, the high priest, who is the source of eternal salvation. So in the latter part of the book of Hebrews of chapter 4, the writer shows the faithfulness of Jesus as him being the high priest and how he loves us. In Hebrews 14, it starts off with the word therefore, and that refers to the other part of chapter 4. It talks about the Sabbath rest. And the writer says that Jesus is the great high priest that ascended into heaven. Remember, Jesus is the only one that died and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. No other high priest did that before. The writer gives us his identity as being Jesus, but he gives the, the description, the Son of God, the only begotten one of God. And he commends us to hold firmly to the faith that we profess, which is the gospel, in believing in Jesus as the one who loves us and he's the one of grace and mercy to bring a reconciliation between us and God. The writer goes further and says that what kind of high priest do we have? We have a high priest that emphasizes with our weakness. We are redeemed sinners and our God understands us. Jesus understands things that we go through. We are constantly battling each and every moment of the day, our spirit and flesh, our spirit and flesh, our spirit and flesh, but Jesus understands us. Continuing on in verse 15, it says, we have a person who is 100% God, 100% man, who was tempted in every way that we were tempted. But there's a difference. When we are tempted, we usually fall into sin. Most likely we do. However, when Jesus was tempted, he overcame that temptation. He is the one without sin. He understands every single thing that we go through. When we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus sympathizes with the people. In the book of John 11, I'm reminded how Jesus went to Mary and Martha. They have just lost their brother Lazarus, and Jesus knows about that. And what does Jesus do? Jesus weeps. He understands our sorrow. He understands where we are. He understands every single thing that we go through, no matter what relationship issue we have, no matter what situation we are, Jesus understands all the temptations that we go through. When you look at the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the writer accounts of, of how the Holy Spirit takes Jesus to the wilderness. And what happens in the wilderness? Jesus is tempted by the devil. In every single temptation that we have had, we have, or we will ever have, those temptations were alive in the desert that day when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He did not fall into temptation. He did not yield into temptation. He did not commit sin. He did not fall into sin. Yet he understands our temptations. Every single moment of the day, he understands. C.S. Lewis, long time ago, wrote this um, uh, book, and, and in that, the, 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 uh, there's a quote that I want to share with you. And C.S. Lewis writes, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is, 
After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what would have happened like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. Jesus knows the strength of evil, the evil of sin, the evil and power of temptation that makes sin happen. But he never yielded to it. That is why he can sympathize with our weaknesses. As we go on to verse 16, it says we can, we can approach God's throne of grace because of what Christ did for us. Notice that it says the throne of grace. It could have said the throne of judgment, and that would have been correct. Because if we do not ask for forgiveness of our sins, yes, God is a God of judgment. But what does the writer say? He says the throne, room, the throne of grace and we can approach it with confidence because we are in Christ Jesus. That we approach the throne to receive grace and mercy that helps us in our time of need. And there's a difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is me not getting the just punishment I should get. Grace is me getting something I should never deserve but God gives me, and God gives us grace freely, unmerited favor to have a relationship with him. And this is given to us in our time of need. So in this latter part of chapter 4, Jesus identifies as the high priest, the one who can relate to us, the one who can relate to us in so many unique ways, unlike any of the priests in the past. So as we enter chapter 5, the author changes a bit. So he's just talked about Jesus, and then he's going to end this passage that we're looking at with Jesus. But in the center, he's going to give us some characteristics of what a high priest is like in the line of Aaron. Because that's where the priesthood came from. So in chapter 5, verse 1. The high priests were selected by God among the people. Specifically from the tribe of Levi. And most specifically, even more, line of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses. And this was instituted back in Leviticus 9. Again, it was to represent the people in matters that relate to God and to offer gifts and sacrifices of their sins. So the offerings would be grain offerings, drink offerings, animal sacrifice. It would be sin offerings as well. So the first characteristic of a high priest from the line of Aaron, a human high priest, is appointed by God. The key word is appointed. It wasn't democratically elected. There was no election on that. But the person to be high priest was appointed by God himself through the line of Aaron. And as we go into verse 2, the high priest was supposed to deal gently with the people who are going astray and, and just go, not going with the word of God and what they're supposed to do in life. And in that gentleness, he can sympathize with their weakness because the high priest himself understands and relates to the people because the high priest himself is human. So the second characteristic of a high priest from the line of Aaron, it deals gently and sympathizes with the people. The key word here is to deal gently, to sympathize with the people of their sins. A high priest is human. This high priest is human and sins just like everyone else. Just like anyone else. Now going to verse 3 and 4, we see a third characteristic. It says that the high priest is the only one that can offer sacrifices for the sins of the people and of himself. 
The key word is offers sacrifice. These are the characteristics of the high priest from Aaron, the human priesthood. What the author of Hebrews now is goes back to Jesus as being the high priest, the mediator between God and humanity. In verse 5, the author says that Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming this important position. It's not as if Jesus said, oh, he does the job opening, can I apply for it? No, it was given to him. It was appointed to him to become this position. And then the author goes beautifully into the Old Testament. Remember, the audience that he's writing this letter to are Hebrews. So he goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 2 is known as a messianic psalm. It speaks of the Messiah. It speaks of who he is, a priest and a king. And God calls the Messiah, my son, and gives himself the title of father. So this father-son relationship is taking place. This is a theme that will surface again in the book of Hebrews later on. Further in verse 6, it shows the appointment of Christ to the priesthood. It says, you are a priesthood forever. And verse 6 is a direct quote from Psalm 110:4, where it says, The Lord has sworn he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And then he puts in this name, this word, in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. You're probably wondering, who in the world is Melchizedek? But for the people receiving this letter, they would have understand, they understood what Melchizedek was. You know, if you have a child that's going to be born soon, you should name him Melchizedek. <laughs> now, can you imagine, you know, that on a credit card or something or a birth certificate? Be really, yes, it's M-E-L, anyways. But let's look at the person Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a contemporary of Abraham, a priest king. And the biblical account is found in Genesis 14. Now, remember Abraham? Do you remember him? Remember he was the one that was called from the land of Ur, and God told him to go to the promised land. So he takes his wife and everything, moves all the way to the other side, to what is now Israel. And God said that out of you, all the nations will be blessed through your descendants, through a Messiah. So Abraham meets this person named Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem. And Salem is actually the name prior to Jerusalem. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything that he had. Melchizedek is also a priest of the Most High God. Now, here is Melchizedek. He is in a pagan world. Okay? Nobody knows about the living God. Yet somehow, God, our living God, revealed himself to Melchizedek. We had... Hundreds and miles east of that, we had God revealing himself to Abraham, the living God. So here we have two people who have a connection with the living God come together. That's only divine. That wasn't by accident. But here is a priest of the most high God. Has nothing to do with the line of Aaron. Because he was a priest of God way before the priesthood from Aaron. Aaron and his descendants were the high priests. Aaron wasn't even around at this time. Actually, Aaron was from the tribe of Levi, and Levi was one of Abraham's grandsons. At this point in history, in Genesis, Abraham didn't even, wasn't even a grandfather at this point. Now keep Melchizedek in mind, because he will be mentioned a few more times as we're looking at the Hebrew series. God appointed Jesus as the high priest. It's supported by these verses. It is different from that of Aaron's priesthood. So the characteristic, number one, of Jesus as the high priest, appointed as the last priest and final high priest. 
unlike the priesthood of Aaron, there was always someone to replace in that line, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. He's the last and final one. He was the best and directly appointed divinely by God himself. In verses 7 and 8, we see Jesus having the characteristics of a high priest, but not just a high priest, but the, the high priest, the mediator. Verse 7 states that he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to God. This is believed to be a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's a, it's a time before Jesus is about to be crucified. He's, he's there praying in the garden, praying so much that the sweat drops of blood. And, and he's saying, Father, take this cup from me. But, but I will do your will. What does Jesus do? He follows the will of God the Father. He is, he is submissive. In this, Jesus is submissive and honoring the Father and the will for the mission of the gospel, for Jesus had come to earth. In verse 8, there's an interesting set of words concerning Jesus. The two words, learned obedience. Now, this is not to suggest that Jesus was disobedient, but rather there's an emphasis that Jesus experienced as a human being who learned what it was like to, to be in this type of suffering. Remember, Jesus came down, he put on humanity. It lived among us, dwelt among us. And in this, the writer of Philippians 2.8, Paul, Paul writes, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Jesus was tempted, but never fell into temptation. Jesus could, Jesus could have easily said, no, I'm not going to the cross. But he chose to follow and be obedient to the Father's mission. So first appointed by God. Secondly, he understood, related, sympathetic to the people's sins even though he never, ever sinned. See, Jesus deals gently and sympathizes with the people because he overcame temptation and he never, ever sinned. He never sinned. He understands temptation. He understands when we are tempted. But we fall into that temptation. Jesus never did. He never sinned. He never sinned at all. The Old Testament priesthood from Aaron and Jesus are somewhat similar, but, but there's a part where it totally differs. Third, the third characteristic is this, offers sacrifice of himself as the perfect sacrifice forever. This is the character of Jesus as the high priest. The priesthood of Aaron, they had to first offer a sacrifice upon, for themselves to be accepted. See, the priest would go in, the high priest would go in, and and now just imagine being the high priest, okay? Just imagine being the high priest, okay? The night before, you're supposed to go into the most holy place, okay? Just think about, you have to be totally right with God. Think about this. Because you cannot go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies, and if you are full of sin, you will die. Literally, you will die. That is why there was rope around the ankle of the high priest. There were bells upon him. And as you went into the most holy place, if you heard the bells and you heard some moving, this is good. But if all of a sudden you heard, heard a thud and there was no bells, the high priest is dead because he was not right before God. Now, you can't just go into the whole, most holy place and take him out. Otherwise, you would die. Like, I've never moved a dead body or anything. But, but like, they would have to pull on the rope to take the dead high priest out. So imagine being the high priest, okay? You had to be right before God. So then you would go in and, and you would ask forgiveness of your sins. God would forgive you. And then you have to give the sin sacrifice on behalf of the people. 
But imagine being that high priest. Jesus was that high priest, but Jesus came into the presence of God because he is perfect. He never sins. Let's look at verse 9. It says, once made perfect. The word perfect does not mean that Jesus was imperfect. It means that it was made complete. There is this perfection that results in the suffering that he had, that he became, indicates a change that follows that completeness. He was free from any failure. He was free from any defeat. And in the suffering, it leads to something absolutely wonderful that we find in verse 9. In verse 9, it says that he became the source of eternal salvation. There is no other source of eternal salvation. It is only Jesus. And as a result, he was a perfect sacrifice. He was one that was perfect to meet the needs of the people as he obeyed the Father and the gospel message. He did not fall. He did not give up. But he was obedient to God. He remained sinless. And that meant he could be that sacrifice on our behalf instead of us having to pay for our sins. Just Think of this, unlike the human priests who were sinful, salvation could never be found in them. It's only through Jesus and Jesus only. Jesus is not only the high priest, he is the perfect sacrifice offered to God forever. He was perfect, he was complete, he was permanent. He is our permanent high priest, mediator between God and humanity. And that brings us to verse 10. God makes the announcement of a new order of priesthood. It is divine appointment. This was mentioned before in verses 4 and 5. He brings up the name Melchizedek again. The order of Melchizedek was not hereditary in succession, unlike that of Aaron. But as a result, no one can succeed Jesus as being the high priest, the mediator. There is no one that will replace Jesus When God gave, he gave everything. There is no Jesus 2.0. It is Jesus and Jesus only. Salvation is only found through him who is our perfect mediator, who is our perfect high priest, who is our perfect sacrifice when it comes to our sins. God grants the salvation through Jesus Christ. It is only through him. On one side, we have had humanity forever since the dawn of creation after the admin sin, always tried to find a way to God, always tried to find different philosophies, even today, different philosophies, different religions, trying to get to God. And here is God on this side, and God has shown himself his revelation, divine revelation for millennia after millennia, showing who he is, a God of love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. That is what God has done, but people have decided to go another way, and then God brings Jesus down. Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were the triune God before the incarnation. They were always there, always existed. But there was one point 2,000 years ago when it was time that Jesus said, yes, it's my time to come down. Now imagine this, the God of the universe creates everything, comes down, clothes himself with humanity, born of a virgin birth, grew in stature and wisdom, taught people about a relationship with the living God. Jesus didn't have to do that. God did not have to do that. God could have started all over 
in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and started all over again. But God chose this. Jesus chose to come down. Tempted in every single way that we are tempted in the wilderness. And then goes on a cross and dies for us. The one without sin became sin for us, for us, all of us. And through the resurrection, we find eternal salvation from the source, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said it so well in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it may sound totally exclusive. And you know what it is? He is God who created all things. He is the one who has provided a way for humanity to have a relationship with God forever. Even though humanity was the one who destroyed that relationship in the beginning, God decides to bring his son, his only begotten, die on a cross, rise from the dead, so he can have a relationship with you. Jesus is the one that stands beautifully between humanity and God. His arms open wide because of the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus perfectly understands the realities of living in a fallen world, just like us. Jesus is the sinless son of God who has full access to God. Jesus is the perfect mediator as our high priest between us and God. And through the love of God, he has called us into relationship. For those of you who are Christ followers, God had called you at one point to have a relationship with him. What is our response to him being the high priest? Our response is thankfulness to God. In every single thing that we go through, God has gone through that. Every single sorrow, every single hardship that we are going through right now, every single thing of a personal hell that we are going through right now, Jesus has gone through it and more. Because while we get tempted, we sin. But the one named Jesus was tempted and never sinned. He understands what you are going through. And our response as followers of Jesus is just be thankful. Never forget that. Always remember. Now, some of you in this room may not be followers of Christ yet. God calls individuals into relationship with him. God is calling you to be in a relationship with him even right now. You know what? Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the next minute. But what I do know is that if you make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, that's going to last for all eternity. He gives you life on this planet. He's going to give you life to the fullest, to give you peace in times where there's hardships. And on top of that, he gives you eternal life forever in heaven. God is calling you into a relationship today. If you're thinking about it, chances are he's calling you right now. Best decision you can make today is becoming a Christ follower. Now you're probably wondering, how do I do that? You know what? It's a decision from your heart. It's really a decision from your heart. You have to understand that you are a sinner and sin separates us from having a relationship with God. You may have heard of this before, but it's true. And what do we do? We ask God to forgive us of our sins. Because again, sin is what separates us from God. And God is faithful and just, the Bible says, to forgive us of our sins. 
And as we ask God to forgive us of our sins, we also have to say, believe that Jesus is the only God, that there is no other, there's no other philosophy, there are no other gods, there's no other way. He is the only way, the truth, and the life. It's only by him. And by committing our life to following him according to the scriptures, not what our personal thing is or what I want to do, but what the Bible says is living a life that is pleasing unto God. It's a decision you have to make. Nobody can make it for you except for yourself. No one can forgive you of your sins. Only Jesus can. If that's you in this room and you want to become a Christ follower, as Jesus is calling you right now, I'm going to say a prayer and I want you to repeat that prayer after me. Again, it's a decision from your heart. I'm not here to guilt you into anything, but it's a decision that you have to make. Again, you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't even know what's going to happen in the next minute. But I do know you can be eternally secured with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your mercy. May we never forget that. And right now, Father, I, I pray for all those who are followers of Christ in this room. May they always remember what you went through, Jesus. That no matter what situation we are in right now, Jesus, you have gone through it. And you're going to help us through it. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus being our high priest so we can have a relationship with you. Now, if you are an individual right now and God is calling you into a relationship, I want to address you right now. That is the best decision you could ever make to become a Christ follower, to become a Christian. And that decision is from your heart. It has to come from your heart. That's the only way you can answer that call as God is calling you to be in a relationship with him. If that is you right now, repeat this prayer after me, silently in your heart. And if you do choose to become a Christ follower today, I would love to meet you at the Welcome Center afterwards. If that is you, pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Jesus, I believe that you are the only God. That there is no other. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you for giving me eternal life. And now I commit my life to you by following what you want me to do, what you have revealed in the Bible. And again, I thank you for life. And I thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.